0: Um, let's open up God's Word to the book of James. We'll be looking at the book of James, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. It's Paul's letter to James. Oh, sorry, James's letter. Not Paul. Paul didn't write all the New Testament, did he? Uh, James's letter to the church, chapter 5, verse 13 to 16. All right, hope you're there. If not, that's okay. I'll read it out for us. Please follow along as I read. Verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This is the word of God.
1: Thanks, Daniel. Um, but- Good morning. Uh, it's good to see everyone. Uh, before I jump into today's sermon, I just want to um, acknowledge we've got two of our friends here from New York, um, Mark and Hayin. Uh You may not, maybe not know Mark, you may know Hayin. Hayne grew up grew up in Sydney. Uh, Mark's actually a pastor in New York of a church. Sorry, I, I don't know the name of the church, um, but I'm really thankful to Mark and Hayin. Hayin. um was a good friend of my wife, Uni, and they kind of grew up together. Um, Uni was one of Hayin's bridesmaids uh, at a wedding. But I'm very thankful to this couple for two things. Uh, Number one, many years ago, I emailed Mark and I said, can you send me like a recommendation for a guest preacher? We're having a camp coming up. Uh, Great guest preacher from America. And he recommended Pastor Dave. And so Pastor Dave, if you remember, he was here, he preached about uh, devotion, and so that's how we got linked to Dave, and that's how he came to our camp many years ago, that's why he came back, and that's how my relationship with Dave kind of formed, and so very thankful to that. And the second thing I'm really thankful to this uh, couple is, uh, when we went to America many years ago, um, we visited New York at the tail end of our trip. And we had been like so sick of eating cheese and salt and, you know, all this unhealthy stuff in America. And we went to their house and said, we just want to eat some vegetables, please, just give us some vegetables. And they made us this amazing wallam sum, Vietnamese roll, and it was the best meal we had in New York. And... That's all I remember of our trip in America, um, this amazing um, vegetables we ate. But yeah, if you know Mark or Hain, or if you don't even know them, um, please go say hi to them. Um, They're doing a great work in New York. And from everything I've heard, uh, the church is doing amazing. And I'm very thankful that we have, um, yeah, just fellow brothers and sisters, not just in Sydney, uh, but across the world that are doing God's work. And so thank you. It's good to see them. All right, as Daniel said, we're continuing our series through um, the side-by-side. And we're sitting through uh, James. And today I'm going to talk about uh, praying for one another. You don't have to be a person who goes to church to know that prayer uh, is important for Christians. But Christians pray, or at least we should pray. Prayer is one of those core activities of the Christian life. It's like right up there along with reading the Word of God. Now, in 2022, in September, uh, LifeWay Research, they did a research of, they researched a a bit over a 1,000 American Protestant Christians, just about how they spend their time with God. And these are, again, American Protestant Christians who go to church at least once a month. And this is what they found in terms of their time with God. 65% of the people they interviewed intentionally spent daily time with God. And so that's the two bars at the top. 44% spend at least once a day with God, and then 21% more than once a day. So if you add those two together, 65% every day intentional time with God. But if you add the third bar, 82% then total spend several times a week, at least several times a week with God. And every time they would spend time with God, nearly always they would pray. Prayer was kind of more common than reading God's Word, but that's that's another thing uh, we can talk about in the future. And as I saw this, I was like, oh, that's pretty good, right? I'm I'm a pessimist. Oh, that's not bad that 65% spend daily with God. I mean, it could be better, obviously, but 82% several times in the week. And as I saw that and as I was encouraged, I wondered, how would we compare, right, to that? Right, If they, we did a research amongst our church and said, how, how many times in a week do you intentionally spend with God right, to read the Word and pray, would we look like this, like the average uh, in America? Right, of course, we'd be better. it would only be 100% at the top list, right? But it made me wonder that. And then it made me wonder, where would you fall in that graph? Right, would you be the multiple times a day? Would you be once a day? Would you be several times a week? Or, you know, maybe down the bottom a few times a month, etc. You know, I think prayer is one of the areas that our church, Kingsway, uh, could grow in. I think there's a kind of opportunity there for us to build a strong culture of prayer, to pray more frequently, uh, comfortably, just instinctively pray when things happen, pray passionately. But I feel like that's something that, you know, maybe uh, we, we might've lost along the way and it's a great opportunity for us to rekindle. You know, we started our sound check prayer meeting uh, about two months ago. That's the prayer meeting that happens before service, uh, between 9 and 9.30 a.m. You okay, just put that in your diaries. Um, and I know it's hard to come to church early, right? I don't want to make anyone feel bad, right? It's hard. The mornings are hard. It's hard enough to come at 10 a.m. Um, it's hard enough to come on time. But as we gathered um, in soundcheck, and so we've been meeting every week for a while because we're gonna relocate, I'm very encouraged by the people who are there, but at the same time, I can't help thinking it'd be great if more of the church gathered together. But if more of the church would gather as we say, we're gonna pray as we are about to relocate. And it made me feel like prayer, again, is a thing that we can build on, right? And the five of us who were there are nodding our heads. (laughs) It'd be great to see a culture of prayer. I once heard that you can see the health of a church not in the Sunday gatherings, but in the prayer gatherings. And if that's true, what do our prayer gatherings say about the health of our church? Now today I wanna talk about prayer. And the first thing I wanna talk about is being a person of prayer, right? Just individually being a person of prayer. Now in James chapter five, he begins by talking about your prayer life, verse 13. He says, if anyone, is anyone among you suffering, Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And so he talks about two kind of groups of people. You've got those who are suffering on one side, pray, and are you cheerful on the other side? Praise. And so James is planting two flags on the opposite extreme ends of life's circumstances. Right? Are you suffering? Turn to God in prayer. And then on the other side, you've got, are you cheerful? Turn to God in praise. Right? Both ends, he says. Turn to God and pray. Now praise, we think of singing. Praise can be done in prayer as well. You can praise God just with your words. And so that's possibly what he's talking about. Now James isn't saying suffering or cheerful pray, not only those two groups. He chooses those two extremes to make a point that everyone should be praying. Right? It doesn't matter if you're on this end of the extreme or that end of the extreme or anywhere in between. Right, we should pray. Now, prayer is not something that Christians sometimes do. Prayer is something that all Christians should do all the time, in all circumstances. Right, that's what James is saying. Right, this is what First Thessalonians says, right? Paul says, Pray without ceasing, right? That's all the time. Give thanks in all circumstances, right? So that's all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. That's all of us here, all Christians. All Christians, in all circumstances, all the time. Let me just talk about this very briefly. All Christians. The moment anyone puts their faith in Jesus Christ, the doors to the ear of God is flung wide open. And we can approach God with boldness and confidence, no matter what kind of week we've had, and know that God is gonna bend His ear and hear us. That is a privilege, one of the privileges that we have as followers of Jesus Christ. Jesus says in John 16, right right before he leaves his disciples and ascends, right? He's going to die and then rise from the dead and ascend to heaven. He says, in that day, right, in the future, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. And then in verse 26, "In in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. And so if you believe in Jesus and if you love Jesus, he says that you can pray to the Father and the Father will hear you and the Father will respond. While the disciples were with Jesus, they didn't pray to the Father, but after Jesus left, he invites us to do that. Pray and he will hear you. If you believe and love me, God hears our prayers because of what Jesus has done. Right? That's true for all Christians. We know God hears us because of what Christ has done in his life, his death on the cross, and because he rose from the dead. God doesn't hear our prayers because we pray fancy words, because we're eloquent. Right, because, you know, we pray and it's really cool. You know, some people pray and you're like, oh, that sounded really cool. That's not why God hears our prayers. Didn't, doesn't he hear your prayer because you read the Bible this week? He doesn't hear your prayer because you were a good Christian this week. Right, God doesn't hear our prayers because of what I've done or what I have not done. He hears our prayers because of what Christ has done. Because of what Christ has done and because I believe in him and his work, I know that I am heard. And that's the confidence we can have. All Christians here right now can have that confidence. Even if you had a very bad week, if you are deep in sin, if you are struggling in your faith, that does not mean God does, like, closes his ears from you. Right? None of that disqualifies you from prayer. We pray and we are heard because of Christ, right? And in those moments when we're deep in sin and we're struggling, that's when we really need to pray and we should have confidence that we can, right? So number one, it's for all Christians and it's in all circumstances, right? As I said, James in verse 13, he plants these two flags to say suffering, cheerful, anyone in between come to God in prayer, right? You can pray no matter what you're going through. Now, prayer is... Like in simple terms, the way I define it is talking to God, right? It's when we speak to God in a very simple way. Through the Word, God speaks to us, and in prayer, we speak to God. Like in any relationship, there's a hearing and a speaking and a hearing and a responding, and there's that back and forth, which is why the Word of God and prayer are the pillars of the Christian life. We need to hear from God through His Word. We need to speak to Him. In prayer. But like any relationship, what you say, how you say it, will change depending on what circumstance you're in. Right so when you go to a friend, if you had a good week, what you say will probably be different from if you had a tough week. If you had a tough week, you probably say, Oh, you know, life's hard. Can you listen to me, vent? Can you help me in the situation? And if you had a good week, you'd be like, life's good. I'm so thankful about these certain things. In the same way, when we come to God, right, depending on what we're going through, we might come, as James says, if you're suffering, you might pray. If you're cheerful, you might praise. In no matter what circumstance, we come to God, but what we say and how we say it can change. And so there are different expressions in prayer. We might come to God in thanks. Thank you, God, for this and that and this person. We might come to God to compliment him right, adore him, God, you are great, you are in control, there is no one like you, and we tell him who he is, we might come to God in confession, God, I messed up, and I repent of my sins, we might come to God to ask things, God, help me, and we might come to God to ask things for other people, right, that's the praying for one another, we'll get to there, intercession, but we can come to God no matter what's going on, and whatever's going on will form how we speak to him. So it's for all Christians in all circumstances, and it's all the time. 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing, right? All the time, in all circumstances. This is God's will for you. You know, Muslims uh, have to pray five times a day. It's like a command. They have to do it. And so at certain times, they will, they will pray, and they would bow and turn to their God. And traditional Judaism would say you should pray three times a day. Right? That was a kind of unwritten rule in traditional Judaism. But nowhere in the Bible uh, does Jesus tell us how many times we have to pray every day. Isn't that interesting? There's no like two times. You have to three times. You have to five times. It's never divine, defined in a set number of times. And I, I wonder if it's because uh, Jesus doesn't want it to be a duty. Like, oh, tick the box, or I have to, right? But instead, we're invited to pray without ceasing. It's kind of like, oh, okay. Don't stop, right? You find it in Ephesians 6, Colossians 4, Philippians 4. Continue steadfastly in prayer, right? That's Colossians, Colossians 4. At all times, Ephesians 6. In everything, that's Philippians 4, right? So we're just meant to pray all the time. And when you hear that, it's like, oh, well, that's even worse than the Muslims, and all the time, without stopping, is that what it is? You know, I thought about this. I feel like it's the it's difference between a parent coming to you. Let's imagine your parent coming to you and saying, hey, you need to speak to me three times every day or else I'll be angry at you. Right? That's duty. That's like, oh, Lord, I have to. You're going to put a number on it. And right? instead, our father comes to us and says, I want to spend the whole day with you. My door is always open to you and I'd love to always be speaking with you and you can come to me at any time. But that's how I imagine it. And really it is a privilege that we can then turn to God at any moment, at any time. That the God of the universe would bend his ear to a person like you and I because of Jesus Christ. And so Christians everywhere can pray no matter what's happening the time. Now, you might want to define that. You might want to say, well, for me, in my discipline, I'm going to pray every morning and every night. King David and Daniel prayed three times in the day. That's what they did. A lot of the old Christians like Calvin or Luther would set three, four, five times in the day that they would set to pray. And that might help us to pray. But again, not defined. We just want to do it as much as we can. So this is the Christian life. One of the pillars of our faith is that we pray. And the reason why I wanted to spend a bit of time talking about you praying is because I think our praying for one another really flows out of our personal prayer life. When we are walking with God, intimate with God, comfortable talking to Him, then we might then bring in someone else to pray for them as well. I think it's hard for us to imagine that we would be a church that prays if we are not individuals that pray. All right, but let me talk, the second point, this is my, I've only got two points today. Talking about praying for one another, being a people of prayer. Now as James continues in James 5, he goes from talking about the individual to talking about community, how we pray as a church. And as I prepared this sermon, I found it surprising that there aren't many examples in the New Testament where we're commanded to pray for one another, right? I thought he'd be like, lots, right? Of course. The only, as far as I know, the two passages are Ephesians 6, right? praying at all times in the spirit with all supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, right? That's one. And then the second one is our passage, James 5. That's it. And I was like, oh, that's interesting, and again, I wonder why. I wonder if it's because it's just assumed we're gonna do it. Now, why tell the church to do what we should do anyway? Even though we don't have many explicit commands, we see people praying for one, one another all throughout the Bible, right? all throughout the Bible. Now, Paul, again, um, Daniel called this the letter of Paul. Paul wrote most of the New Testament. That's why, that's why that, we make that mistake. When you look at the apostle Paul, in nearly all the letters he writes to the churches, he says, I'm praying for you. When he writes this letter to Timothy and Philemon, he says, I'm praying for you. And what's surprising is that this giant of faith, the apostle Paul, not only prays for the church and for people, but at least seven times, right from my count, he asks them to pray for him. Pray for me. And I love that, that Paul, who is so strong and you know, he's, he's planning churches and he's so you know, such a giant of the faith, would say, pray for me. Pray for them, pray for me. And I think this is what God wants for His church, that we would pray for people and ask them to pray for us. I think prayer for one another is a really kind of beautiful thing. There's not many moments in our lives as Christians when me, God, and someone else are explicitly brought to the forefront of our activity. Right? It's God, you, me, all at once at the same time. Not, not many moments. A lot of the times it's me and God in my devotional, singing in the car. Maybe even like in church, it's meant to be about us. But when we sing, like everyone else feels like they're in the background and it's me and God. Or it's me and you. We have a fellowship event. Let's have a barbecue. We're going to play basketball today, some of us. It's, it's very horizontal. And God's there maybe, but he's kind of in the background. But when we pray together, I don't know, it's like this beautiful thing where it's me and you and we're crying out to God together and we're all brought into this one place. I think that's one of the beauties of prayer and praying for one another. The church and God really comes together. And so in James 5, he moves on to now talk about us praying for one another. And I just want to do like a little side note here before I talk about this. Um. In the ESV and most English translations, and the common interpretation of this passage is that James is talking about people who are physically sick, right, that's why you have the word sick. And then he says, call the elders, and the elders will come and they're going to pray for you, and you're going to be, the understanding is, you'll be saved, it says, so I'm going to be healed of my sickness, and then, you know, my sin's going to be forgiven, whatever that has to do with my sickness. And that's the common interpretation. But I've changed the words here because... um, my, as I study this, my interpretation, I think this is more accurate, is that this is about a spiritual sickness. Um, and I was going to like, I read this whole thing about explaining why, um, but, I, but I won't for time. But the main kind of reasons are lexically, the Greek words um, are much more flexible. The, they really mean uh, weary and weak, which is why I replaced it there. And the context will tell you whether it's a physical weakness or a mental weakness, emotional weakness, or Spiritual weakness, right? It's not always physical, right? Um, it's contextually makes more sense. If you look at the book of James, very practical book, no supernatural. Um, and he could at the end talk about the supernatural, it doesn't seem to fit. And if you go to James 5 yourself, the context um, is about faith and staying strong in your faith what comes before and what's going to come after. And it seems to just flow better. Okay, I'm explaining it. I said I won't explain it. It logically makes more sense. There's a lot of questions if it's about physical healing. And theologically, it makes more sense. If you have questions about this, come speak to me. I'll unpack it for you. But assuming this is right, okay? This is about spiritual weak people, people who are struggling. And you're calling the elders to pray for you. And he says, you'll be healed of your spiritual struggle. God will raise you up right in your faith. And your sins will be forgiven. Now, as James invites us to pray like this, there's two benefits that we get. But as we become a church that prays for one another, the first thing we get is that we find support. Verse 14, is anyone among you spiritually weak? You're struggling in your faith. Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, right? That part I just won't touch just for time. Verse 15, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is weary, right? It will deliver you, restore you, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. James invites those of us in the church who are spiritually struggling to call the elders for prayer. Now if this is about physical sickness, why would you call the elders to pray? Are they the healers in the church? What is it about the elders that will connect directly to your physical sickness? Why can't you pray for yourself? Now if you're spiritually weak, it makes sense that you would call the elders. Because the elders can be what you cannot be, and they can do what you cannot do. All right, let me explain that. They can be what you cannot be. A spiritually struggling person is not strong in their faith. So they're calling someone who is strong in their faith. And you would hope that out of the church, it would be the elders. When you're spiritually weak and weary and struggling, you're full of doubt. You're unsteady. You're shaken in your faith. You're not seeing your circumstances clearly. And so when you really reach the end and you're saying, this is my last attempt, I want to just speak to someone and I might quit the faith, the one person that you hope is steady, right? The, the one group of people that you hope can see your situation clearly, who has weathered the storms in the faith, who isn't doubting Jesus themselves, you'd hope is the elders, right? Does that make sense? It, for me, it makes way more sense. So you call the elders, because they can be what you cannot be, which is strong in their faith. And they can do what you cannot do, they can pray. Now, if you're physically sick, doesn't mean you're struggling in your faith, or you can get into accidents, your faith could be very strong, you can pray for yourself. But those who are spiritually struggling cannot pray. It's hard to pray when you're doubting God. It's hard to pray when you wanna give up on church. And so, because you cannot pray, you call the elders to pray for you, to do what you cannot do. James talks about the importance of praying with faith in chapter one. He said, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. In chapter one, he says, When you pray and ask God, you must pray in faith, because if you doubt, don't expect to get your prayers answered and so when you're struggling and you're like I don't even know if God is real I mean you should cry out to him and vent but what you need is someone who's praying in faith and again you would hope that the elders in the church are right with God and they can pray in faith on your behalf and so that's why you're calling the elders they can be what you can't be spiritually strong and they can do what you can't do which is pray in faith Now, we all go through moments of weakness and weariness at some point, in some degree. And I think the principle here that we can take away is that when you're weak and struggling, you need someone strong in the faith to pull you up. You need the support of someone stronger to hear your situation, to speak truth in love, and to pray on your behalf. If you share with someone weak in the faith or new to the faith when you're struggling, instead of getting pulled up, you might pull them down. And so it's important that we cry out to those who are strong. Now, when you're really, really struggling and at the end of the faith, and you're gonna call one person, you might call the elders. Now, we don't have elders right now. We have pastors, myself, Daniel. We have our interim council, uh, Thomas, Songsu, Mark. At the end of the year, we will vote in our first round of elders, so when you're really struggling, I think it's wise to, to call the elders, Because right? you, you might give up on church, you might give up on your faith. But if you're not struggling that bad and life's just a little bit hard and, you know, stuff's just not going the way you want, you don't always have to call the elders. But I think a good principle is you call someone who's strong in the faith. Someone who in that moment is doing well, who's walking with God, who you know that when you speak to them, it won't discourage them but rather it will encourage you. Rather than pulling them down, it'll pull you up. And you share with them and you receive accountability, counsel, and prayer. That's what we get when we become a church that prays for one another. We find support. And the promise is in verse 15 that this prayer of faith will save the one who is spiritually weary and the Lord will raise him up. This is a promise here. I don't think theologically you can promise that every time a person is sick physically, that if the elders pray for you, you will be healed and you'll rise up from the hospital bed. That's a promise far too strong that I don't think the Bible tells us that. But we can promise that if you're struggling in your faith and you're a Christian and you're crying out to God as best as you can and you reach out to people as best as you can and you receive prayer, you will persevere. You will get out of that struggling situation. You will not leave the faith because God will not leave you and let go of you, right? He will persevere you. We can make that promise. And so we gain support when we become a church that prays for another. But the second thing is that we find protection. James goes on in verse 16, and now he moves on from those who are struggling and he says, let me talk about the church this is for all of us now to do all the time confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed and again that word healed variety of uses 1 peter chapter 2 by his wounds we've been healed right that's not saying we were sick and god physically healed us it's about a spiritual healing and so confess your sins pray for another you'll be healed The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. James tells us to do two things. Confess your sins. Before he tells us to pray for one another, he says, be vulnerable to one another. Confession. Tell each other what's going on in your life. Praying for one another is key, but we can't pray for one another if we don't know what's going on with one another. If our sharing is superficial, our praying will be superficial, right? Our praying will go only as deep as our our sharing does. Our prayers go as deep as our confession to one another. And so, the invitation is to practice vulnerability in the church, to be a bit more honest about your doubts in the faith, what you're struggling with, your weaknesses, and even your sins and your fight against sin. And the hope is that as you share that vulnerability, you'll be met with grace and accountability and prayer. Does your spouse or closest friends know your struggles? Have you shared with anyone in the church the sins you're trying to fight against? Does your growth group know how you're really going? Does anyone know how you're really going? You don't have to share everything with everyone. You don't stand up here and be like, okay guys, let me give you a list of all the sins I've committed this week, right? With wisdom, but depending on the group or depending on the person, you will share more or less. But is there anyone who really knows the things you're struggling with? and know how to really pray for you. Right, I often ask people, like, how can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And people ask me too. And like, if I think about it, a lot of the times the answers, but I don't know about the things you say, but at least for me, it's it's superficial. It's, a, it's so generic. And there's wisdom again in what you share, especially in places of leadership. But people can't pray for you if they don't know what to pray for. Right, this week I asked someone, um, sorry, I feel bad because I didn't ask them if I can share this, but I asked them, how can I pray for you? And they shared honestly about what's going on. And they were like, oh, I feel bad. Like I burdened you for telling you this stuff. Now you have to pray for me. I don't know if you ever felt that way, like sharing honestly, like you feel bad. We should never feel bad about being honest. It's never a burden. But to build a culture where we can pray for one another, we need to build a culture of vulnerability and be honest. And then people can truly pray. And I found it so refreshing and encouraging and challenging for myself to be more vulnerable amongst the church. We are vulnerable to one another. That's confession. Oh, And then there's intercession. Pray for one another. You take what people have shared with you and then you pray. And I said this a few weeks ago, but sometimes we use that line as like a, Oh, I'll pray for you. Oh, it's like a, a thing we say but don't really mean. I have, I, oh, thank you for sharing. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. I forget. I'm forgetting next moment. I walk away from you. But to genuinely pray for one another is so important. There's power in prayer. God wants the church to pray for one another. And to pray for one another, it might mean for you, maybe setting aside some time in the day where you will pray for people. Is it in the morning? Is it a night? But you make it a daily occurrence where you will sit down and not just think about yourself or pray for yourself, but you will pray for other people. Maybe it means for you to making it a, ha- a habit to pray for certain groups. We pray for me. I think this is what John Piper does. He, you start with yourself and then you, you kind of expand out. Pray for me, pray for my family, my friends, my church, and my work colleagues, the nations. You just kind of expand out. And you make it a, a priority to then ex- pray in concentric circles maybe it means for you to start keeping a list when people share something to you and you say i'll pray for you write it down somewhere and then you go back to that list in the mornings or the nights when you pray through those concentric circles and you you actually pray for them and when you actually pray for them you can go up to them and say hey how did that thing go instead of forgetting about it and never talking about it again, right? Is it just me that's done this before? Come on. And Maybe it means getting comfortable asking people how they're really going and getting comfortable actually sharing how you're going. Maybe it means getting comfortable praying on the spot. You know, after we're sharing, after service and someone shares something deep to you and you're like, oh, you're like, I'll pray for you. Maybe it's nice to pray for them then and there. Can we just go to the corner let me pray for you and you pray for that brother or sister. James says this, is anyone among you weak? Let him call the elders of the church, right? They can be what you can't be. They can do what you can't do. They'll be strong and they'll pray. This prayer of faith will save the weary person. It will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, that's verse 16, therefore confess your sins and pray. That word, therefore, is very important. It's why I call this protection. James is saying, some of us are struggling. We're at the end of our faith. We're going to give up. Call the elders. Therefore, we need to pray and confess everyone. And his point is, if we can have a culture of confession and intercession, we will not get to a place where we're spiritually struggling. If we can build that culture, it will stop so many people from ever getting to the end of their faith because we're practicing vulnerability. We're practicing accountability. We're receiving and giving prayer. And so many people won't even get to the place where they have secret sins that have blossomed and taken over their lives, where they are failing and falling by themselves over and over again. We won't get to that place. This is the antidote, James is saying from getting to a place of spiritual struggle. And so we find support, yes, but we also then find prevention from ever getting to a bad place. These are the two benefits at least that we get when we become a church of prayer, when we pray for one another. And if we don't, we won't find support and we won't have protection. Let me close with this. Uh, my father-in-law is uh, very healthy, very strong. Uh, my wife joked, I think a few years ago, that if I got in an arm wrestle with him, uh, I would lose. <laughs> uh, but only I laughed at that. And she was like, I'm being serious. And I disagree with this, but he's very, he's very healthy. Um, never get sick. Like when the whole, because we're living with the in-laws, you know, the sickness, the flu goes around to everyone, never gets sick. Last year, um, on my birthday, uh, Zoe got COVID, spread to the whole family. He he was the only one who never got COVID. When we get, when we used to get flu jabs and COVID jabs, you know, we'd be KO'd the next day. He's like, did they even put it in? He can't even feel the needle. And very healthy, very healthy. Um, Anyway, about a month ago, he sat me down and he pulled out this bottle It's like this very nice-looking bottle. The lid is like gold-plated or something. It's got this nice little shiny thing on the lid. And he says, Paul, this is a bottle of ginseng. Uh, It's approved by something government. (laughs) He said some stuff in Korean. I was like, hmm. I wasn't wasn't really listening. Um, He's saying this stuff, and he says, this bottle is $400. And then I was like, I started listening. I was like, What? $400. And I eat a spoonful of this every day. And I was like, that's why you're not sick. $400, that's why you're... And he says to me, Paul, you should eat a spoonful every day too. And I felt so honored. I was like, you're letting me eat this $400 ginseng? And so from that point on, every day, diligently, I eat like One-tenth of a spoonful, because I feel too bad to eat a whole spoonful. I just take a little, I dip the spoon in and I mix it in with water. And every time I dip it, I'm like, this is $5, it's $5. And I drink it every day um, because I don't want to get sick, right? This is the lengths we go to to not get sick, $400 ginseng bottle. You know, we do this every morning with our kids. We give them like five vitamin jellies of different things filled with different stuff because we don't want them to get sick. Right? It's the vitamins we eat and the things we go through. But when we do get sick, we then run to medicine so we can get better as quick as possible. Vitamins so I don't get sick, medicine when I do get sick. I don't know if you notice, but when James tells us to pray for one another, he says prayer is so vital and important. It is both our vitamin and our medicine. It is what we need when we get sick. It's our medicine, When you're sick and you're struggling and you're giving up, you need prayer. Cry out to someone who's strong. They will pray for you. But also, it's your vitamin. Pray in the church so that we don't end up there. This is how important praying for one another is. It is vitamin. It is medicine. It is what keeps us healthy. A culture of prayer will make us healthy Christians. But a culture weak in prayer will lead to a sick church. And so I invite us to pray for one another, confession and intercession. So let's close our eyes and let's pray for this. I wanna invite us to pray for two things today. I want you to pray for you and then next, I wanna invite us to pray for other people. But let's just wrestle between us and God for a moment here today. And the question is, how strong is your prayer life? And this isn't to make us feel guilty, but to invite us to this privilege of speaking to God. God, I wanna speak to you and I wanna walk with you in my daily life. It's for all Christians all the time, no matter what you're going through. So God, I wanna be a praying person, but not just praying for myself, I wanna pray for the church. I want to be vulnerable to the people around me. I want to intercede on their behalf. God, would you help me to build this culture of prayer here at Kingsway? Can we just make that our prayer? Ask God to help us to be a people of prayer. Let's spend a minute making that our confession. Let's pray.